invite you to open with me to Matthew chapter 5 today. We're going to jump back into our series uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been uh, working our way through Matthew's Gospel. Of course, we're calling this series Christ is King. How many of you believe that? Amen? Amen. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And uh, as you're finding Matthew chapter 5, I just want to welcome you to come join us this evening. We have our Sunday evening service tonight at 6 p.m., and I'll be ministering the Word tonight. Uh, Lord's given me a word from 1 Samuel chapter 20 on David and Jonathan that I think will really bless you, so I, I want you to come on out tonight. Uh, our Sunday evening service is not the same service that we have in the morning, uh, in case you didn't know that. Uh, it's a totally different worship set, totally different sermon. Uh, we just want to spend as much time as we can with the Lord in His presence, worshiping Him and receiving His Word. And so come on out tonight at 6, we'll have a, we, we will have a wonderful time uh, together. Uh, so this morning we're back in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and this is a, a sermon that Jesus gave to His disciples. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because it begins by telling us that Jesus went up on the mountain uh, to deliver this sermon in, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. And what we saw is, as previously we dealt with the first eight uh, verses or so uh, dealing with the character where Jesus talks about the, these eight points of the character of a disciple, a character of those who follow Christ. We know those as the Beatitudes where Jesus talked about those who are blessed, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And moving on through those, what Jesus is describing there for us is what those who follow him, the, the character traits, the attributes of Christ that should be, we should be living out in our lives. And then we saw that as he moved from, from talking about his new covenant people and, and how we should live out and, and, and our character, he, he talked about our relationship as those who follow Christ what is our relationship between us and the world that we live in? And we looked at how Jesus taught that our relationship should be one of we are to be salt and we are to be light. We are not of the world. We've been called out of the world, yet we're to live in the world, not as the world, but being a light and being salt in the world. And that when we do that, Jesus says that we will give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And so the aim of our life as we exhibit the character of Christ in the way that we live, being salt and light in the world, it results in us bringing glory to God. And so with this in mind, we pick up the sermon today here in verse 17. And we're going to look at four verses today, verses 17 through 20. And Jesus continues and he he. He says here in verse 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, he says, whoever relaxes 
one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. These are the words of God. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that as we examine these uh, this morning, that they would be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Lord, show us wonderful things from your word this morning. Lord, show us your son Jesus, that we might behold him, that we might exalt him, that we might glorify him. Lord, that we would worship him in the way that we live our lives. Lord, that worship is more than just the songs that we sing. It's the sum total of our lives oriented and directed into pleasing you, into loving you, into glorifying you. Lord, I pray that as we spend time in your word today that you would help us to do that and that you would cause us, Lord, to be salt and to be light in this world that is so dark, to be salt in this world that is decaying and decaying rapidly. Lord, that you would cause us to be that preserving agent, that you would cause us to be that, that light that shines in the world and that brings your gospel truth to the lives of those around us and to the lives of those that we love. We thank you for working through us, your church, this week, even as we live out your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, this passage that we have before us this morning is one of the most important in this sermon, the sermon that spans three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's incredibly important. And if we don't understand what Jesus is saying here, we won't understand what comes after it. And I would argue that as, as, as Matthew sits at the beginning of our New Testament, that if we don't understand what Jesus is saying here, we won't understand the rest of the New Testament. We won't understand the rest of the gospel. We won't understand the rest of the Christian message. That is how important and that is how pivotal this passage is to our understanding of what comes after it. It is that important. Therefore, we need to get this. We need to understand this. You need to understand this. And we as a church, we must wrestle through what Jesus is telling us here and and have a full understanding of it, and then how do we live this out in our lives? It's imperative for us as a church that we do so. And there is much misunderstanding on what Jesus is teaching here. You don't have to look very far to find somebody in the church that's going to tell you the exact opposite of what I'm about to tell you this morning. But for us, it is vital to our relationship with the Lord, our walk with the Lord, and our witness in the world that we understand rightly what Jesus is teaching here. And we see in this passage that there's two sections. There's the first two verses, and then there's a clear distinction between the next two verses, verses 19 and 20. The first two sections deal with Christ and his relationship to the law of God. Christ and the law. What, what is his view of it? What is his relationship to it? 
And then the next section, verses 19 through 20, deals with our relationship to God's law, our view of it, and, and what we are, how we are to relate to it and to live it out. And so it was my intent to break this sermon into two weeks and that we would first deal with the first section and that we would secondly deal with the, the second section next week. And what I hope to do was to answer uh, for us three questions today from this first section. And the three questions I want to answer from this first section are firstly, what is, what was Jesus' view of the law? Secondly, in what way did Christ fulfill the law and the prophets? And then thirdly, what does Christ's fulfillment and how does this, what does it mean for us today and how does it impact our lives today? Now, it was my intent earlier on in the week to answer all three of those questions this week. Uh, but as I began to write the sermon, I realized if we were ever going to eat lunch today, that I must only answer the first question today. And so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to answer this question. What was Christ's view of the law and the prophets? So real simple today, not, not making things complicated, not giving you a whole lot that you have to hold on to in your mind today, just answering one question. What was Christ's view of the law and the prophets? And I want to start today by answering or giving a definition. What are the law and the prophets? Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but fulfill them. What is he talking about? What is he speaking of? Well, the law is known as, we know that the law is the first five books of the Bible. That's typically called the law. Also called the Torah, the teaching, the doctrine. And it's also called the first five books of the Bible. And it's called the Pentateuch, which means five it's also called the books of Moses. Now it's called the law because in that we see that God gives his law to his people. And that the law that God gives to his people is contained in those first five books. But there's much more than simply law in the first five books of the Bible. There's also history there. There's also poetry there. The history of mankind is contained there as we see that the beginning of the book of Genesis starts with creation itself. It contains the history of everything, and, and also it goes on to tell us the story of our ancient ancestors, the Jewish people. The Jewish people are our ancient ancestors. Did you know that? Because we, part of the new covenant, are grafted into the promises God made to Abraham in the book of Genesis. And so as we read the book of Genesis, we're not reading some, some story about some things that happened to some people way back then. We're actually reading some stories that happened to our people way back then. Because we're part of that story. Amen? So it tells the history. It tells how God delivered his people from slavery, bondage in Egypt. How God led them out into the wilderness and sustained them. And how in the wilderness, God gave them his law. And it contains that law that he gave to his people. And then Jesus also says the prophets. Well, the prophets, what, what were the prophets? The prophets were those that God sent to his people who delivered a message to his people from God. Now, mostly that message contained 
calling back his people a, a message of, of repentance. Calling God's people back to what? To his law. Because they had wandered away, they had broken his law, they had gone off into idolatry, into false worship, and so God would send prophets who would go and deliver a message of repentance, return to the Lord, return to his word. And so the vast majority of the prophetic writings that we have in the uh, Old Testament are that, calling people, God's people back to covenant faithfulness by keeping his law. And then secondly, the prophets also began to paint a portrait for us of the Messiah, the deliverer, the savior that would come that would set God's people free from sin and oppression. And so they would foretell the coming of the Messiah and they would foretell, preach, proclaim the law of God and the word of God and call people back to covenant faithfulness. And so when Jesus here speaks of the law and the prophets, he's using a shorthand for what we now call the Old Testament. So you can, you can literally write in there when Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, you could literally substitute in there the Old Testament scripture. That is exactly what Jesus is talking about. And we see that not only Jesus uses that shorthand, but also the apostles, as they write the New Testament, they use that shorthand as well of the law and the prophets to refer to the scriptures, what we now call the Old Testament scriptures. And so with this definition, I'm going to answer these, these three questions over the next few weeks, and today we're going to answer this question. What was Jesus' view of the law and the prophets? Well, what did he think about them? What, what, what did he believe about them? Because, why is this important for us? Well, because we claim to follow Christ, do we not? And so as, as Christ followers, as disciples of Jesus, we need to have in our mind the same view of the Old Testament that Jesus did. It would be very dangerous for us to have a view of the Old Testament scriptures that is different from the view that Jesus had. Because I would submit to you that every other view of the Old Testament than the view that Jesus had is a false view. And a false view of Scripture comes only from one place. The devil. So, so do, do we want to have a, a Holy Spirit, God-blessed view of the Old Testament? Or do we want to contain in our hearts and in our minds a demonic view of the Old Testament? I would probably wager that all of us want the first. So what is Jesus' view? Well, firstly, I think that we can certainly say that Jesus believed the Old Testament to be true. To be true. That it was historical, that it was factual, that it was trustworthy, that it was reliable. Now, it might seem obvious to you, and I would, you might be asking, why is it important to even point this out? Well, simply because there are many who claim to follow Christ, but want to dismiss certain things in the Old Testament 
as not true, as myth, as fable. There are those who claim to follow Christ who do not want to hold to the Old Testament as trustworthy, true, and reliable. But Jesus believed it to be true. All of it. And especially we can see even in Jesus' teachings that Jesus quotes extensively from the Old Testament and preaches the Old Testament as if it was the Word of God, as if it was true and trustworthy and reliable. So Jesus will refer to the act of creation in Matthew chapter 19 when Jesus speaks on marriage. And he will say, have you not read that from the beginning God created them male and female? So so Jesus seems to take the, the creation account from Genesis and not view it as some sort of poetic allegory, but he seems to believe that it's actually literally true that God actually literally spoke the worlds into existence. That we didn't just evolve over time and, and, you know, just were the random acts of, of unguided mutations and that your ancient ancestors used to be bacteria. Jesus didn't believe that about you. No, Jesus believed what Genesis says, and that is that you are created in the image of God. I heard a preacher recently say about the, the, the common view that people have today about evolution and Big Bang and all this. He called that view, he said, from the goo, right, the primordial soup, right, where life began. He said that view is from the goo to you by way of the zoo. I thought that was fun. From the goo to you by way of the zoo. Listen, your ancient ancestors were not bacteria. Your ancient ancestors were not apes. Your ancient ancestors bore the image of God. You bear the image of God. That means that your life is valuable. It means your life is, has worth. It means that you have purpose, that you were designed by God, created by God, knit together in your mother's womb. It means that every human life is valuable. Every human life. From conception until our last breath, every human life is valuable. Jesus believed this. Jesus taught this. Jesus taught this by calling on the Old Testament scriptures as true and authoritative. Jesus taught on Noah and the worldwide flood. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus believed in in the, the Noahic flood. Jesus believed in the Old Testament scriptures, and he believed that they were true. Not only these two examples from Genesis, but constantly in his teaching. In fact, in Matthew alone, in Matthew's gospel alone, Jesus quotes the Old Testament scriptures 40 times. 40 times in Matthew's gospel alone, Jesus quotes from the law and the prophets. Especially he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. 
We've looked at some of these already in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was tempted. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. That's Deuteronomy 8.3. He said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy 6.13. How about this one? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's not Jesus inventing those words. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy there. How about this? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's not the New Testament. That's Jesus quoting the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself is Leviticus 19.18. And on and on and on and on I could go of Jesus quoting from the Old Testament. Now I think that we can rightly deduce that Jesus would not be quoting from and preaching the Old Testament if he did not believe it to be true. Amen? Flip with me to Matthew chapter 22, just a few pages down in your scripture. I want to give you a powerful illustration of this. Matthew chapter 22. In Jesus' day, there was different uh, religious groups that had different interpretations of the scriptures, and uh, they would argue and debate, and one of the groups did not believe in a future resurrection of the dead. And they're called the Sadducees. And you can remember that they're called the Sadducees. My grandpa used to teach this, because they're sad, you see. And why are they sad, you see? Well, because there's no life after death. There's no future resurrection. So the Sadducees are sad, you see. Anyway, so... They're, they're, they, are, they think they've, they've invented a scenario that will trip Jesus up on the resurrection. And so they say, look, look, Jesus, there was this scenario where this wife was married to a husband and her husband died and she didn't have any children. So according to Mosaic law, uh, the brother of the husband took her as a wife to raise up children for her. Because if a, if a woman in those days did not have a husband and not children, she would often become destitute as she would rely upon her children to care for her in her old age. And so Mosaic law as a way of caring for widows required a, um, a, the brother of a husband that passed away if he did, had not left her children to raise up children for her uh, to, to uh, take her as a wife and raise up children for her as a way of caring for her. And it says that basically there were seven brothers and she married all of them and none of them gave her kids. And so they come to Jesus with this aha question that they think they've got him. And they say, in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? Are they going to be arguing over her and who's the wife? If Jesus, if there's a resurrection... How is this all going to be sorted out? And Jesus answered in verse 29. He says, you are wrong because you know. And some people want to have this view of Jesus that, oh, he's just so like loving and kind. and never told anybody they were ever wrong. And Jesus just accepts everybody on everything. And he's kind of just this hippie and he wears sandals and he's just cool, man, with everything. Well, Jesus opens a statement by saying, you are wrong. So, Jesus doesn't approve of everything. And he says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures 
nor the power of God. He says, you don't know your Bibles. So what's he appealing to here? The law and the prophets. He's saying you're wrong because you haven't studied the Old Testament and you don't know the power of God. For in the resurrection, Jesus says, we neither, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. That marriage is something for right now in, in this life, but in the life to come, that there is not marriage. We will be like the angels in heaven. In verse 31, he says, as for the resurrection, and listen to these words that he says here. Verse 31, as for the resurrection, have you not read what was said to you by God? And here he quotes from the book of Exodus. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. He quotes from the book of Exodus, and did you catch what he said? Look at it again, verse 31. Have you not read what was said to you by God? Now, typically, what would we think would come after this statement? Have you not read what was if I asked you, have, have you read what was written? Thank you. Thank you, whoever that was. God bless you. Right? Isn't that the way we would think it would go? Have you not read what was written? But Jesus' view of the Old Testament is the same view that Paul had when he wrote to Timothy and said, all Scripture is spoken by God. God breathed. Literally, the, the Greek words, theanustos, breathed out by God. The Old Testament is the very breath of God. And Jesus says, have you not read what was spoken to you? And he doesn't say by the prophets. He doesn't say spoken to you by Moses. He says spoken to you by God. And notice here that Jesus doesn't say, have you not read what was spoken to them? To them in the Old Testament. Have you not read what was spoken to them back in the book of Exodus? No, Jesus' view of the Old Testament scriptures are that when God speaks, it's authoritative to all people for all time. So that those people who were living some, some 1,500 years later then when God spoke those words, it's as if God had spoken them directly to the people Jesus was speaking to in his day. Do you see that? Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? And so when we read the Old Testament, we are not reading what was written by the prophets to those people back there. When we read the Old Testament, we are reading what is spoken to us by God. That's Jesus' view of the Scriptures. And I would submit to you that that should be our view of the Scriptures as well. This is not what the prophets spoke to these people back then. This is what God is speaking to me today, right now. Because Jesus believed it was true. And he believed it was true because he believed it was God's word. 
and God who does not lie and God who cannot lie. And so if these are the very words of God, if these are the very words breathed out by God, by necessity they are true words. So that's the first point of my first point of my first section working through this passage in Matthew 5. Secondly, and this is related to the first, and you'll see how it's related, but it's also important, and I need to draw this out. Let's go back to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Secondly, not only did Jesus believe that the Old Testament scriptures, that the law of God was true, he also believed that it was good. That it was good. Now, you might say, why is this important? Why do you need to draw this out? It seems so obvious that it would be good because God is good, and so whatever God speaks is going to be good. But again, there are many today that would identify themselves, call themselves Christian, who would call into question the goodness of the law of God, who would point to things in the law of God and say, that's not good. Many argue, would argue today that these laws, the, the law of God, do not apply to us today because they are not good and they would call into question their goodness, especially in regards to the goodness of the law of God with regard to sexual ethics. What, what is, how, how is human sexuality supposed to be practiced? There are many Christians so-called today, who, who want to throw out the Old Testament teaching on sexual ethics and to call it into question and to say that it is not good. Jesus believed that not only was it true, but that it was good, and he upheld God's law as good. And there are many, again, today in the church who, because of this, because of their questioning of the truthfulness, questioning of the goodness of the Old Testament, they want to drive a wedge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They want to divide them. They want to, to separate them. And, and in separating them, what they want to do is throw out the Old Testament. Let, let's eject this from our Christian life. Let's eject it from Christianity. There's a very famous a Christian pastor today, leads a very large church. His name is Andy Stanley. He's the son of the very well-known Christian preacher, Charles Stanley. Andy Stanley famously has taught that we need to, quote, unhitch Christianity from the Old Testament. To unhitch it. And specifically, it is in regards to these two points where he would call into question the truthfulness and the goodness of the Old Testament. Here's some more quotes. He wrote a book called Irresistible. And these quotes are taken exactly from there. 
Quote, our incessant habit, speaking of Christians, our incessant habit of reaching back into the old covenant concepts, teachings, sayings, and narratives is a, is a very big problem in the modern church. Quote, would you consider, writing to pastors, would you consider unhitching your teaching of what it means to follow Jesus from all the things of the old covenant? End quote. So, so separate what it means to follow Christ from the old covenant. Take those away. Unhitch them. Divide them. Separate them. And I want you to understand that this is not Jesus' view at all. In fact, Jesus begins his, his section here by saying, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Do not think, do not get this idea in your mind that I've come, that, that, that I and my following and I and, and my kingdom is in any way at odds with everything in Scripture that has come before it. Do not get this idea in your mind that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. That is the words of Jesus. He says, I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. But there are many today who want to, like Andy Stanley, unhitch and therefore abolish the Old Testament from the Christian faith, eradicate it completely. Jesus regarded the Old Testament as the word of God, fully inspired, inerrant, without error, and authoritative. And if we call into question the validity of the Old Testament, we call into question Jesus himself. You cannot eject the Old Testament without ejecting Christ. Pastor Terry has a saying he likes to say that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. If you call into the question the truthfulness of the Old Testament, the goodness of the Old Testament and, the, and its laws, hear me in this, you are not following Jesus. You are not following Jesus and therefore should not call yourself a Christian. I know those are strong words, but these are what Jesus is saying right here. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. And he goes on to, to lay it down even more strongly. He says, I tell you, truly I tell you, that verily, verily, listen to this. I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus says, until human history is wrapped up, not even a stroke of the pen, not a crossing of the T or a dotting of the I will pass away. I don't know how Jesus could be more clear than this that the law of God is still valid today. 
that the Old Testament scriptures are still the word of God today. Not a dot, he says, not a stroke of the pen, not an iota, not, not even a piece of punctuation. The law, Jesus says, is valid, is binding, is abiding, is in full force. It has not been a, done away with, not even in the slightest, until heaven and earth pass away. Until there's a new heaven and a new earth, God's law stands in full force. And as we work through this, we're going to see how we, especially as we get into this second section, how we live out and how God has called us to, as his believers, obey his law. To obey the law of God. To submit ourselves to the law of God. You say, well, aren't we under grace, not under the law? Yes, of course we are. Well, how does that work? Well, you're going to have to keep coming back for the next few weeks to hear how that works. But hear me in this. God's law has not been done away with. God's law has not been amended. God's law is in full effect and in full force today and will be until heaven and earth pass away. And we as God's people have called to obey his law and his commandments. In fact, Jesus concludes his ministry with the Great Commission where Jesus says, go into all the world, disciple every nation, and to do so, how do we disciple the nations? By teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. The, the nations are to submit to the law of God. That's Jesus' teaching. And it's the teaching of the church to go and to call the nations to repent and to serve God and to follow the teaching of Christ. And I'll get in. We will work this out over the next few weeks. But this section, what does this mean for us today? Jesus' view of the Old Testament. That it is true, that it is good, and that it is in full force. That it is abiding today. What does it mean for us? Number one, it means that we should study God's word. All of it. Old Testament and New Testament. Cover to cover. Genesis to Revelation is all God's word. Paul wrote to Timothy in the first century before the New Testament was written. Paul wrote to Timothy, a young man, devote yourself, he said, to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. The scriptures he's talking about is the law and the prophets. He says, Timothy, you need to be devoted to the scripture. You need to be devoted to teaching it. You need to be exhorted to exhorting it. You need to be devoted to living it. And the scripture he's referring to is the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. In the book of Acts, Paul constantly shows from the scriptures, the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, that Jesus was the Messiah. The apostles preached the Old Testament. That was the word of God they had. And so that is what they taught. That is what they studied. And so we should study the Old Testament. 
Not just the new, but we should read it, and we should read it devotionally, and we should let God speak to us through his word. And that we would be able to declare like the psalmist in Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. That should be our goal. That should be our aim, to love God's word, to love his law, and to think on it, and to meditate on it, and to seek to obey it. Again, not to earn our right standing with God, because that is only by grace through faith. We are not saved by our law-keeping, and I just have to remind you of that. None of us is saved by keeping the law. Jesus kept the law perfectly for us. But now that we are saved, we don't enter back into lawlessness, which is sin. But now that we are saved, set free from lawlessness, sin, we uphold the law of God. Yea, we fulfill it, Paul says. We live it out. We live out the commandments of God because we are saved, not to be saved. So that we would be able to say, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Some years ago, we went through the book of Genesis, verse by verse. I think that was 2017. And as we went through that, I was approached by several people in the congregation that I was, I was a little bit shocked to hear this. They said, you know, I never read the book of Genesis before. It was in the Old Testament. I just kind of focus in on the New Testament. But man, there's a lot of good stuff in there. That's, that's amazing. What? You haven't read Genesis? I read Genesis every year as a kid because I tried to read my Bible every year, but I had to start in Genesis and I at least got through Genesis. <laughs> kind of dropped off in Leviticus, but I at least made it through Genesis. No, no we, we need to be whole Bible Christians because that's who Jesus was. That's who Jesus was. That was his view of the scriptures. That it was true, that it was good, and that it was abiding. The, the Old Testament is so rich, is so full of such vibrant color and detail of God dealing with mankind, his dealings with men, his working with humanity. We see the, the nature and the character of God. We see the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God. And oh, do we see the patience of God. We see the character of God lived out in human experience in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, in the Scriptures, in, in a way that isn't painted so vividly for us in the New Testament. We see what it looked like to walk with God, to live out our faith as the people of old lived out their faith. And by doing so, I, I, I know this for a fact, that your faith will grow and will be strengthened as you read and you study the law and the prophets, the Old Testament scripture. Jesus in Luke 24, he said this. He, he, he met with his disciples after the resurrection and he began to teach them, and it says, and he taught them from the law and the, the Psalms, the law and the prophets, again, speaking of the Old Testament, he taught them all the things concerning himself. Jesus is in the Old Testament. 
Jesus is on every page of the Old Testament. And you will not understand Jesus in the New Testament if you don't understand Jesus in the Old Testament. You can't have Jesus, the true Jesus, if you don't see how he is the fulfillment of everything that was spoken in the law and the prophets. And so let me encourage you, learn of Christ, study Christ, not only from the New Testament, but also from the Old Testament. You would, and my hope for you is that you would, like Jesus, believe that the Old Testament, that it is true, that it is good, and that it is abiding today because it is God's word. Therefore, we should read it, we should believe it, and we should study it. And when we do that, we are following Jesus. Amen? I invite you to stand with me this morning. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage of scripture that sheds so much light on what we should believe and think about your word. Father, I pray that we would have the right view of the whole Bible. And Lord, that we would be able to declare like the psalmist, oh, how I love your law. It is the meditation. It is my meditation all the day. Lord, that we would, like Jesus, love the Old Testament, that we would study it, that we would obey it, that we would put it into practice. Lord, that we would not rebel against your commandments. Lord, that we, as your people, saved by your grace, would be so in love with you, our Savior, that we want to follow you and obey you and to bring pleasure to you by the way that we live our lives. And that when we do that, Lord, that we will be salt, we will be light in the world, we will be distinct from the world, that we will be a witness to the world by the way that we live our lives submitted to our Savior and his word. Help us, Lord, to have that right understanding and that we would live it out in our daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.